At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is not your ordinary deck of playing cards. These cards contain 52 unsolved cases, and with every hand that's played, the stakes are unusually high. They've been dealt to inmates across the nation, and investigators are hoping their tips will stack the odds in favor of the house. Now it's your turn. These victims have been dealt an unfair hand, and it's up to you to deal justice. Somebody, somewhere, has information that could be investigators' ace in the hole. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 9 of Dealing Justice. I'm Jennifer Dubasek. And I'm Lori Jennings. In today's episode, we learn about the senseless and tragic murder of 61-year-old Gary Nelson. Almost 13 years later, his family is hopeful answers and justice may finally be on the way with the release this past spring of the state of Kansas's first deck of cold case playing cards. And one of those cards is featuring Gary Nelson. Natalie Davis, a local journalist, spent time with Gary's family, and she had the privilege to be on the steering committee for the cold case playing cards. Several months ago, the Kansas Department of Corrections called on law enforcement agencies to submit their cold cases for consideration. The KBI director says there are several hundred cold cases across the state. A selection committee narrowed them down. My name is Natalie Davis. I'm a former news anchor and reporter. I um, did that work for the better part of a decade, uh, most recently at KWCH in Wichita. Kansas, and I loved it. When the steering committee came about, they were looking for, of course, members of law enforcement and the corrections community, and then they also wanted the insight uh, on the media side of things, and so they reached out to me and asked me if I would participate on that committee, Um, and it was uh, about a year-long process, Uh, and and I, I have to say I did much less work than than the law enforcement side of things and the corrections side of things, absolutely. But I shared my perspective on how we could get those stories out there because really, I mean, it's, it's the card deck and it's, it's of course about, you know, some hope and stirring new leads in a case, but it, it, it's also really about the victims and the victims' families and um, showing what they've been through and, and being sort of um, victims' advocates. I would just say it was a labor of love. Um, you know, people took time uh, out of their schedules, you know, law enforcement officers, corrections officers, uh, myself and several other um, colleagues in the media that I pulled in as well. Uh, and, and we worked hard on it and it was a team effort and it really was meant to do some good. And I'm, I'm hopeful that it will do some good. As always, we would love to see the day when there are no faces to put on the cold case playing cards. But until that day comes, we will continue telling these stories in pursuit of dealing justice. 
time for us to solve these cases one card at a time. Help us deal justice for Gary Nelson. This is episode nine, the Gary Nelson case. Three of spades, Kansas deck. This episode of Dealing Justice brings us to Beloit, Kansas, where the tornadoes weren't the only thing this rural, dusty town had to fear. Beloit, Kansas is located in north-central Kansas in Mitchell County, where the county slogan reads that it's the heart of the Solomon Valley and it sits at the Solomon Valley River Basin. It's also known as the land of Kansas Post Rock because of the limestone that once covered the region and was once used to construct houses and buildings in the 19th and 20th century, some of which are still standing today. And of course, Mitchell County is where the world's most famous and largest ball of twine sits as a landmark and a reminder of a time when the world was much more easily entertained and amused. This actually describes much of the area and especially Beloit, Kansas. Beloit has a population of under 4,000 and it's considered home to the Nelson family. Gary Nelson was born on March 16, 1948 and was the oldest of six children. Here his sister Cheryl tells us about growing up with her big brother Gary in Beloit, Kansas. My name is Cheryl Duran. I am one of Gary Nelson's three sisters. I'm the middle sister. Uh, We are off Highway 24. We're just a small town with small town values. Uh, You know, we have churches here and elementary school, high school, Catholic school, Catholic high school. We have a grocery store and gas stations and little drugstore downtown. We have a sunflower manufacturing here and we have a uh, several places that uh, build farm uh, equipment, farm machinery, that kind of thing. You know, we have Walmart. It's 30 miles away in Concordia, but I mean, Beloit kind of stands on its own here. I know Gary because he was my oldest brother. He was a wonderful man, the backbone of our family. He meant everything to me. Oh, Gary had a larger-than-life personality. He was ornery. He was very ornery, but good ornery. He um, was just independent from the time he was a child, you know, and he continued that independence, you know, through our lives. Gary had to be independent. He was only 11 years old when their father died. And according to his sister, Cheryl, he took his father of the house responsibilities very seriously. Gary was only 11 at the time, but he seemed to grow and, you know, through the grief and became a man at 11. He was the oldest of six. The youngest was one year old. The oldest was 11. There were six of us. And um, my dad died. And it was really hard on all of us. But Gary seemed to come out in that position where, to me anyways, that, uh, yeah, he became a brother. But he was, he would advise me and When I was a young teenage girl, he uh, would run off all my boyfriends. He'd tell my boyfriend, and I was like just young enough. I didn't really have what you could really say as a boyfriend. But to me, they were boyfriends, just young puppy love stuff, you know. And um, he'd tell them, stay away from my sister. (laughs) So he was protective. 
yeah, I'd get so mad at him. But I knew what he was doing. But he always treated me with dignity and respect, you know. And uh, he just was a good, good man. He was, he was a good brother, you know. We didn't have daddy, and we all, you get a little crazy if you don't have a man around. But mom did a good job with all six of us. And if he thought I was, you know, wrong on something, he'd pull me up short. So he was just a good. Didn't always tell you what you wanted to hear, but he told you what you needed to hear. He was a friend. Gary trained as a diesel mechanic at the local vocational college in Beloit. He and his brother Stephen worked nearby building the dam at Wakanda Lake. When that job was complete, the brothers decided to explore and went to Seattle, Washington to look for work. There, they painted houses together until Steve was drafted and Gary decided to move back to Beloit to be close to his family. And by close, I mean really close. His sister Cheryl and his nephew Leo explain. He ended up coming home, you know, home's where your heart is. And he moved, he bought the house uh, next door. Well, it's across the road to the west. Their houses were side by side with the road in between to my mother. And I moved on the other side of my mother because there was a little house open and I was divorced and I wanted to get my kids around family because it takes a village to raise a child. And I had three. But anyways, yes, I lived by my mother and he lived on the other side of my mother. Gary's nephew, Leo Duran, tells us more. All of my, like my grandma, my aunt and uncle's mom, everybody lived within two blocks of each other, ironically enough. But it was definitely not an uncommon occurrence to have somebody or at least a couple people show up every day just randomly to knock on the door. How you doing? You know, um, wanted to stop in. Gary, uh, like I said, just lived a couple houses down. Him and the mom were always, you know, Gary, I think, came over, oh gosh, pretty close to every day. Yeah, well, I mean, I I guess not like every day, every day, but I mean, pretty, pretty often. Like, not necessarily seven days out of the week, but I'd say five. I don't know if it was necessarily planned or not, but yeah, everybody really just kind of stayed close, legitimately within two blocks of each other, um, I would say was... 80% 80% of the family, at least, at least if not like 85. I mean, everybody says their family's really good, but like it was just a really good, like wholesome uh, family where, you know, there really wasn't a whole like a family drama, you know, like some people. Obviously, there were tiffs here and there, but largely by, largely by far and away, you know, everybody got along. It was really, really awesome. Leo has a great affinity for his uncle Gary, and he should. His mom, Cheryl, and his dad divorced when he was just two years old. His dad was no longer in his life, and once again, Gary stepped in to play the role of the father figure. It was a role he knew well, and Cheryl and Leo both tell us he was great at it. Gary took the time for Leo. He would come up here and, you know, have coffee with me, but he would give time to Leo. Like we were around the fire pit or something. He'd take time. They'd just sit out there, the two of them, and talk. Leo was a young man, you know, and needed needed that man in his life. And I couldn't be a man, 
you know, I did the best I could, you know, I was, like I said, I wasn't raised with a man around either. So I learned to be a fierce role model as far as independence. I had to lead. And uh, so I did what I, you know, my boys have altered out to be good, honest men. I'm very proud of each and every one of them, but Leo's the youngest. But uh, Gary, Gary took the time, I guess, you know, it isn't that Leo went looking. Gary just saw the need and filled it. And the same way you do with me, just take the time to sit and talk and ask you questions and advise you on your future, advise you on your present, on your now. Gary is biologically my uncle, but he was most certainly uh, my father figure in my life. He was a super awesome uh, father figure to me. Taught me how to hunt, how to fish, how to work on cars, you know, about life. Um, taught me a lot from his construction business. Gary, you know, took me under his wing. I said, because him and mom, you know, were really tight. And he said so he came over a lot. And so it was just kind of natural. We just kind of gravitated towards each other. Gary was a go-getter. When Steve got discharged from the military, he and Gary started Nelson Brothers Construction Business in 1969. Gary got married and started a family and worked hard to build his company and his reputation as being fair and honest. He's just a wonderful businessman. Uh, a lot of people knew him, loved him. You know, he believed in the Lord. He was a self-made man, didn't have any money back in him when he started out, but he did well for himself and was just getting ready to retire and go fishing and build cabinets and just let the men run his crews that he had. He had Nelson, Gary Nelson Construction. He was a contractor. His uh, logo was uh, when quality counts, as everybody would say that about his work. It was quality work. Gary was certainly considered successful and a self-starter. If he wanted it, he made it happen. So when he decided he wanted to build a house for himself and his best friend and a workshop on the same property, he built it from the ground up. Leo tells us more. He lived next to me for quite a few years um, until he finally built his own house um, a couple miles outside of town, here specifically, but I know his best friend, Johnny, uh, who worked with him and his company for, again, a lot of years. They went out to the middle of nowhere in the country, and uh, Gary brought a pile of stakes and a, and a hammer and handed them to Johnny and said, here, hold these. And, you know, so they went walking around this kind of a field and uh you know gary said hey put a stake right there johnny it's okay he put a stake in there. i said put another one over there and another one over there you know and johnny finally said what are we doing here gary what are we you know <laughs> and, and uh and he said and he looked at johnny and said johnny said this is where we're going to build our house uh and, oh my uh, gosh and, and our and our shop he said if you'll help me build it uh said you can live here and we're gonna this is where we're gonna stay you know and and johnny obviously agreed um, cause they were, those two were thick as thieves. It's, it was really neat to see, but yeah, I said, yeah, this is where we're going to build our house. Uh, if you'll help me and, uh, you can stay out here. And of course, like I said, like I said, Johnny agreed and, uh, they built a really big, built this really big house with this huge shop in between that they, uh, ran a lot of their business out of, you had a whole fleet of vehicles. It didn't matter what it was, tractors, trucks, 
you know, you name it. They, it took him years, you know, because uh, he was running his business during the week and on his uh, weekends and his free time here and there when he got the chance, you know, he'd get off work and he'd go build his own house, you know, a little bit here and there, a little bit here and there. And then Johnny both took him a couple of years, um, maybe a little more uh, to build the house, but they finally got it done and then they moved in and that's where they stayed. Working hard and making money wasn't the only thing that was important to Gary Nelson. His family says his faith and his three kids and his extended family was paramount in his life. Here's Gary's nephew, Leo Duran, again. His first wife, Cecilia, they had uh, three kids in in order of oldest to youngest. It's uh, Marianne, Lisa, and Jeremy. So he had two daughters and a son. Um, and they were, I don't know how long they were together, but they were together for a while. Um, but then they ended up uh, getting divorced. And then he met uh, his next wife, Rebecca, and they were together for, oh man, a long time, uh, essentially, up until the end. So he was a really good family man. He really cared about his family a lot. And although Gary stayed busy, he began buying local rental properties, and once again, it was a success. But Leo tells us that while his uncle may have had a rough exterior, his heart was just the opposite. There would be plenty of times, you know, uh, his tenants or someone, you know, uh, around the holidays or, or any time really, you know, they, maybe they were befell some kind of a tragedy, you know, had hard times and they wouldn't be able to make rent and Gary would say, ah, don't worry about it. You know, or uh, just get me when you can. You know, he really wasn't a money-hungry kind of guy, especially when it came to people in need, um, especially around Christmas time. You know, people wouldn't – he'd notice that people wouldn't necessarily have a lot of money for their kids for Christmas, so we would give them money and say, don't worry about it, don't pay me back. It's 2009, and 61-year-old Gary Nelson has built a life he is proud of. He has a successful construction business, owns rental properties all throughout Beloit, and he's well-known and well-liked throughout his hometown. He's built a compound in the woods with his home on one side, his shop in the middle, and his best friend's home directly on the other side. By now, he's twice divorced, but Gary is not alone. He lives with his adult son and a woman that his sister Cheryl refers to as his special friend. Here she explains. We call her his special friend. Uh, it was his ex-wife. She was uh, She needed help. She couldn't do independent living. And even though they were divorced, he felt responsible to care for her. And so that would be his special friend. And uh, his son, Jeremy, lived in the basement. Now, when you grow up in a small town where you know everyone, it can have its advantages, but it can also have its drawbacks. Gary lived on his own time schedule and his setup in the woods offered him plenty of autonomy and he would often be working on projects in his shop at all times of the night. Everyone knew this and they also knew Gary didn't lock his doors or close his blinds or pretty much any of the things that most people do to be cautious. It never crossed his mind that anything bad would happen to him at his home. But that was about to change. Friday, December 18th, 2009. It's around 2 a.m. and Gary Nelson was up and in his bedroom after just getting a glass of ice water out of the kitchen. 
His grown son was in the basement and his ex-wife Rebecca was in her room. It's at this point when all hell breaks loose in the Nelson house. Someone came in through the front door and started shooting. The person, or persons, sprayed bullets across the wall. Gary was able to make it to his office where his gun was at and returned fire on the intruder before passing out. Gary had been shot multiple times. Leo tells us what happened that night. I was up getting a glass of water and I remember looking at the clock and it was 1, 1.30 in the morning and uh, the phone rang. And I thought, what in the world? And so uh, I picked it up and it was my Aunt Cindy. And she was frantic. She says, Leo, where's your mom? I said, she's sleeping, Cindy. Why? What's going on? She said, I need you to get your mom. I said, okay, I will. What's going on? And she said, Gary has been shot and he's in the hospital. He just uh, got there. We need to get up there now. But by this time, mom had wandered out of the bedroom and said, what's going on? Because she heard the landline ring. It was a total shock. It was just couldn't believe it. You know, only thing on my mind was to get there, to get there, to get there. And we all went up there, even my mother, who was 89. And, and so we got up there and we all just huddled together and held on to each other and Hoped and waited and hoped and waited. And my mother, like I said, was 89. And um, some other siblings got her up there. And we waited and we waited. And they stay, finally got him stabilized. We sat there for what seemed like an eternity. You know, the doctors coming in and out every few minutes, um, giving us an update. And I remember the police showed up um and talked to the family a little bit about what was going on um, and how things were uh, shaping up or, you know, what they had come up with kind of so far. I remember the doctor finally came out um, one of the last times and he said, you know, we asked him, I said, well, what's, what's happening? Is, you know, what are you, is he going to be okay? And they said, well, we're just trying to get him stable so that way we can get him to Wichita. And we said, what, all this time, he's been, you're just trying to get him stable? And they said, yeah. I uh, said, so he's, he's pretty bad off. Um, but uh, we're going to life flight him to Wichita. We're just trying to get him stable. And, of course, that obviously hit all of us like a ton of bricks. Um, he said, I have to go. Um, I just want to let you guys know. But uh, the life flight will be here shortly. The doors, you know, the double doors closed, and it was the most shattering sound, uh, or shattering sound that I've ever heard. And everybody just sat there in disbelief. They didn't really know what to say. I remember the clock. It's just like in the movies, you know, the clock tick is so loud, and it sounds like it echoes throughout the room. And I remember we all just kind of sat there, and nobody could say anything until the one of the doctors uh, came back out and said, okay, well, we got him uh, stabilized for now. We have an ambulance outside that's going to take him to the life flight. They're here. He's 
in as good a shape as we can get him, which is pretty good considering the circumstances. One of the bullets had hit one of his ribs and uh, ricocheted down and tore through his pericardium and his stomach and uh, through his liver and lodged in his hip. And uh, if you're going to have any family go to Wichita, you should leave now. Before he got life-lighted out, the doctors had told us, hey, listen, uh, when he first got here, when we saw how bad off he was, and everybody where he's going to the hospital in Wichita, they know the situation. Uh, we told him that it was how dire it was, and that they informed him that they had assembled the best trauma team in Kansas to come to try to save Gary. And we said, okay, or can we see him before he goes? And he said, we're, we're not going to let you stay in a room, but we're wheeling him out of the OR as we speak to get him onto the ambulance. And he told us to wait, you know, in the hallway right there. And it just so happened to be at an L. And I remember them wheeling him down the hallway, you know, uh, wires and tubes everywhere, hooked up to I don't know how many machines, unconscious. And it was grandma who finally broke the silence. She hollered out to Gary as he was wheeling by. She said, you fight, Gary. Did you fight for mama? I said, I love you. You fight. Don't give up. That was really, uh, it was really powerful. I think my mom called after him the same, you know, too. I said, you know, I love you, Gary. You know, you fight too, but... Grandma was, oh man, like I said, because nobody had really said anything since we had that news. And then we went back and saw that, and, you know, it was like again in the movies, just slow motion, you know, rolling by. And then Grandma snapped it back to reality when she said that. And then we watched him again go out another set of double doors, and you could see the ambulance. And they were still leaving him out of the ambulance. And again, double doors closed. <laughs> And that was the last time I ever saw him alive. My uncle Steve, um, myself, and Rebecca got in a car uh, and took off to Wichita. And it was about a couple-hour drive from Beloit. And we made it to about Newton, uh, which is about an hour-ish. So a little, little about halfway. And I had never been so terrified of a cell phone to ring in my life. I remember we all just kind of stared at each other until Steve picked it up and uh, started crying. Then it was Keith, Marianne's husband, gave us the news that he didn't make it, that Gary had died. He said, but the doctors there at Wichita came out and they said that they had never seen anything like that before in their entire career. And he said, what, what? And he said, he, he died on the table, but they brought him back seven times. They said that they had never seen anybody fight as hard as Gary did, but eventually it was just too much for his body. Gary Leo Nelson died in the operating room around 9 a.m. that Friday morning in Wichita, Kansas. While the family was still reeling from the shock of what had just happened, they immediately began working with police and putting together the details of what happened that night. I couldn't even say if Gary was robbed. 
I couldn't even say that. I do know that Gary would have went down before he opened that safe. He worked too hard. He made everything from the sweat of his brow. But I don't know. They came in shooting a vendetta or something because they came in the door shooting. Oh, family has ideas of more than one that, you know, were threatening, were saying things, people talking about killing him. You know, yeah, there was there was questionable things. In true Gary Nelson fashion, he not only left this world fighting, he also left a clue. The family says the police were given a name that Gary gave before he passed away. Neither police nor the family will release this name for fear of hindering the investigation. But suffice it to say, this family will not give up on finding the killer of Gary Nelson. We just don't know what happened. And and Gary named a name, you know, who he thought it looked like. And now Gary's dead and dead men can't talk, but he did name a name, which I can't say. But... uh, they came in the front door with some kind of a gun that there's a spray of bullets across the walls, across the office wall, out the back door and across another wall into another room where he jumped into. I mean, he was up. He was in the house. They found his glass of ice water. He was up, which is not unusual for Gary. You know, he was up. And he didn't always pull his blinds. He lived in the country. So I think whoever it was knew he was up. And they just came on in and, like I said, a spray of bullets across the wall. Just changed our family. Dynamics are just, it's just, they just, it's just like, A murder is like a drop in the middle of a still pond. You know, that evil ripples out and affects everyone. And Gary, like I said, Gary was like the glue that held us all together somehow. And just, it's hurt us all so bad. For nearly 13 years, Gary's murderer or murderers have gotten away with it so far. But now, with the state of Kansas releasing their new deck of cold case playing cards into prison starting this spring, Gary's family are hoping answers may finally be coming their way. Again, here's journalist Natalie Davis. The case of Gary Leo Nelson, uh, I think, was a case that took a lot of people by surprise in this deck of cards because his nephew, Leo Duran, who works for Hutchinson Correctional Facility, um, he viewed Gary as a father figure. And this it really, he says, impacted his trajectory of life. I mean, it's why largely he decided to go into law enforcement, working in corrections. And he did not know that his, essentially his dad had been chosen to be a part of this card deck. He found out at a Zoom meeting through work. And he's he's watching this Zoom meeting thinking like, oh, wow, what a cool presentation. And he's scrolling through the PDF of cards because they said, hey, we'll let you see the cards. And he, his heart just drops you know, because he sees Gary, um, that, you know, the three of spades, he said he refreshed his computer because he just couldn't believe it. And then he, he asked the, um, the presenter, Hey, can I, can I talk to you after this? And and they talked and it was just such a, a surprise to both of them. You know, there were efforts made as far as, as I'm aware of this wasn't, wasn't my area being on the committee, but there were efforts made to get in touch with family. Um, but I, but I don't know that all family got communicated with about this 
this cold case card deck. So um, Leo was very, very excited about this because he felt like, wow, police care, police are still trying, you know, and, and also knowing that to be selected for the card deck, there has to be a certain number of solvability factors met to know that his uncle's case fell into that category and that there was still hope to solve it and get, get some answers. That was really, he said, meant so much to him and meant so much to his family. He's the three of spades. And I had absolutely no idea that Gary was in this, on this, involved. No one in the family knew. And then I scrolled, I saw his, I saw his picture, and I, it just felt like somebody sucked the air out of the room. You know, and I'm not going to lie to you, I lost it right there at my desk. I really did. I didn't believe it. I, you know, I closed it out and opened it back up and closed it out and opened it back up. He's like, no, like, I'm just, I'm seeing things, you know, and definitely wasn't. And it's really crazy, inspiring and refreshing and empowering to feel that it wasn't just a few people in a small town still talking about it, you know, to get some more attention out there. Reporter Natalie Davis shares with us what she's learned sitting down with Gary's family for nearly five hours. You get to know a family quickly when talking so deeply with them for such a long amount of time, you know, because there was so much grief to get through and so many questions and just so much loss to talk about. And they relive this all the time because Gary meant the world to them. Big brother, father figure, um, actual father, uncle, son. His mother just turned 101 years old. And her kids say they really think she's holding on, hoping that someone comes forward and says something that helps solve this case or admits that they're the one who did it. She's mad. You know, she she said they'll get there someday, which which to her goes back to her faith. You know, she she believes that they will get justice here on earth or or in heaven. You know, she's very angry. She said, my son was a good boy and he didn't deserve this. And it's been really sad for her to lose a child in this way. Um, it would mean the world to them if and especially his his 101 year old mother, Jean Nelson if they could solve this case. And um, his daughter, Marianne, um, who lives in the house now, they've repaired some of the bullet holes, but a lot of them are still in the walls. And her thinking was, you know, what if law enforcement needs this someday? What if they need to come back and measure and look at those to solve my dad's case? So she's living with still bullet holes in her walls, and there are numerous. As Gary's sister Cheryl explains, having no answers just leads to constant thoughts and theories that run through their mind. I know I'm just broken. I think we're probably all broken. But my heart is broken. My mother's heart is broken. I think all our hearts are broken. They hurt us all. People don't. They can't or else they just don't care. You know, they need to understand the gravity of those kind of decisions that they make. You know, it's like you kill so many people when you kill one. You know, our family's just broken. A poem Gary was always known to talk about and try to live his life by was, Can You Face the Man in the Glass? 
you know, Gary first showed me that poem, The Man in the Glass, because that was his favorite poem. It doesn't matter where you go, what you're doing, what you accomplish in your life. At the end of each day, when you untie your shoes and you look at the man in the glass, he's the one you got to face. Can you face the man in the glass? Man in the Glass by Peter Dell Wimbro Sr. When you get what you want in the struggle for self and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. Some people may think you're straight shooting chum and call you a wonderful guy. But the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear up to the end. And you've passed the most dangerous, difficult test if the man in the glass is your friend. You may fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartaches and teasers if you've cheated the man in the glass. And nearly every year, the family has printed that poem in the local newspaper as a memorial for Gary, with the words also written, My words to those who murdered my son. Can you look at the man in the glass? There was definitely only one, you know, God definitely only made one Gary Leo Nelson, for sure. And uh, to be without him is um, quite a tragedy. If you have any information about Gary's murder, you can call the Kansas Bureau of Investigations at 1-800-KS-CRIME. That's 1-800-572-7463. And you can also remain anonymous. Okay, guys, um, if you are hearing my voice, then chances are you have listened to all of episode nine of the Gary Leo Nelson case. And let me just tell you guys, I talked to his family and... I mean, as always, I think one of the heartbreaking things is to just, Lori, you know, is to talk to the families. And and I think sometimes, you know, if it's not a child, and especially if it's a male, and you guys, this is just something we have learned from doing um, a podcast in true crime. You know, people have a, have a sympathy meter, and, and it's unfortunate because it's a female. And if she's young, then it's even greater. And I get it on some, you know, on some level, people have a sympathy for someone who they feel like, oh, that could be me. But one thing that we, that came out of this is that, you know, Gary Nelson was 61 years old. He was a grown man, but he was still somebody's child. And his mom is now a hundred years old. His sister, Cheryl, his nephew, Leo, and those are just the ones we talked to. Um, I know his inf- entire family is super supportive um, and has just really rallied around. And I think all of them um, are just heartbroken over this and really just want to find some answers. Right. And how much those answers, if they finally come to the family, would help their healing process. Absolutely. And, you know, thank goodness for people like Natalie Davis, who we talked to on this. She She's amazing. And, you know, through the course of doing this, we have just been so grateful to be able to be connected with people like her. Natalie, um, as you guys heard earlier, she sat on the board and really you know, was a big help in having these cards come forward. And she's talked to the families. 
by the way, you guys, Natalie has talked to us about several cases out of Kansas. So, you know, please tune in with us on the following episodes. Um, You'll hear more out of Kansas and more from Natalie. She's been a big push and a big help out of there. And I know, Lori, I got a chance to talk to her. You talked to Natalie as well. It's just, you know, people like her, thank goodness for them. Yes. And she also, like, as you said, with other families as well, she just really has a heart for the victims as well. And I think she even said, you know, she sat down with Gary's family for five hours. And when you're working on a news program like that, you know, you can only air so much of that. You know, part of that whole process was her really learning about the family and really just getting that trust from them, but also really caring about them and seeing the best way to put that story forward, too. And I'm just so happy she shared that with us as well. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just from our hearts, I think we we really do. I think that there's a big difference and I'm just going to tread lightly here. But there's a big difference when you yourself as podcasters talk to the families and connect with them. It's very important for us to connect um, and tell the right story. And I can't always say that, you know, we have learned in in the past, you know, we may have accidentally made some mistakes, but I think one thing that I can guarantee you from us is that we have said from day one that we wanted to do this out of our hearts and to do no harm and to anything that we do to be helpful and to truly constantly check ourselves. It would be so much easier to just start talking and read off of, you know, a newspaper or a magazine or something and tell you guys about these things. But it is just not the same thing. And I think you guys can hear this from hearing from Gary's family. I think how cool that Leo is named after his uncle and and just the whole story of how he found out about, you know, his uncle being on the cards. And and I think this is for anybody who's worked on the cards and Tommy Ray, who created them, to hear, you know, Leo talk about how emotional he got when he was scanning through and had no idea he would see his uncle on here. But the thing that we hear back from people is that it's just that, hope. I mean, it's that four-letter word. It's just hope. And it's also knowing that they are not forgotten. Like you said, in this wrap-up, we really don't have any suspects to talk about, right? It's really, we're depending on somebody to come forward, whether it be through the cold case playing cards or through listening to stories like this or news programs. Okay. Now, you know, I, I, I feel like just even internally, when you're like, we don't have any suspects, I think we don't know Um, the name of the suspect. Okay, so you guys, so, you know, I think that Gary was, everybody knew him around there. And I think when you think of wealthy, like Gary was that kind of guy who it seems like he was, uh, you know, rich in spirit, rich in happiness. Like this is the life he wanted to live. Beloit is super rural. And if you guys go and look at any of the video of it, you'll see. Um, But a lot of times those towns are, you know, generations on generations that know each other. Everybody knew Gary and Gary is kind of one of those pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of guy, made his own money, made the life that he wanted and not on the backs of other people. However, you know, I think that there are some thoughts about maybe who did this, but even more so the fact that, you know, Gary's at home, it's two o'clock in the morning and somebody comes in and just starts shooting. I, I, there's a missing piece of the puzzle here for me. And again, 
by all means, I get it that, you know, we're just doing a podcast. We don't, you know, maybe the police know some information, but there is definitely something that feels like it's missing here. And I feel like there is more than one person that knows who did this to to Gary. And now the fact that he said a name, um, who was that name? That's just incredible to me. And it's incredible that that even hasn't even like, who is that name? You know, who is that? Exactly. And the fact that the family knows who this is now. And I will tell you, I, I think it shows great restraint to to sit there and know. And you and I have talked to other people. I think, you know, just want to redirect really quick and talk about the fact that the Brittany Drexel case and talking to Brittany's mom, Dawn. And the fact that, you know, we told you guys in our um, when we when we did her episode that we felt like there was Dawn kept telling us there was something coming and that she knew something. And I think for families to to show that restraint, because look, at it, this isn't six months. This isn't nine months. This is years of torment, you know, that these families are going through. So, again, so Gary, before he passed away, he said a name. Um, and the police are familiar, or, or I shouldn't say familiar. They know who that they're aware that he said a name. The family are aware. And so whoever did this, I don't want to say there's no suspects. You know, I want them to to I want them to be a little scared right now. Well, and every time they hear that that name has been said, they know whose name that is. You know, that person or persons know, OK, that name is on the radar because I'm sure when he said that name, he didn't mistake that name. Well, yeah, exactly. Gary doesn't seem like he would be that kind of guy. You know, and I don't think we talked about this, but, you know, just you guys, if you get a chance, go look at the card. Um, You know, Gary's wearing like a trucker hat, but not trying to be cool trucker hat. Like it's really his trucker hat that he's probably had for 20 years. He's got overalls on, you know, he's just like, he looks like that kind of guy. Like, who, why, you know, who wants to come in and, and shoot Gary? The only thing I can think of, again, is that in my experience, those kind of dudes usually are not big bank guys, you know? They're like, hey, I'm going to put a lot of money in my safe because that's what I trust. But I'll be damned, they didn't get his money. No, he, he went down fighting. And like his sister said, I think his sister said in the interview, you know, he wasn't going to open that safe no matter what. It's not like somebody was standing there saying, open the safe or I'm going to kill you. Like, he didn't even get that opportunity. But, you know, it's like somebody shooting at him. He still was like, oh, you know, I'm like you said, he's going to go down fighting. So I wish there was more that we could tell you guys on who could have possibly have did this. However, like we always say, somebody out there knows something. We always appreciate you guys' help and um, in any way of you know, spreading the story. And again, for Gary's family, for his, you know, his sweet poor mom that's just out there. And again, I always think it's easy to see somebody and not realize that it's somebody's baby. And Gary was somebody's baby, no matter how old he was. Right, exactly. So we hope someone comes forward and that there's answers for this in the state of Kansas from the people we've talked to are excited that these cards are getting out in the prisons. And we will be bringing another case from Kansas. We have several, so we're excited about the people and the police and the people that we've talked to for them. So we're looking forward to bringing those stories as well. 
We have just made great connections with people from all over. So we are just super excited, like Lori said, to keep bringing these cards and these stories to you guys. And from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you. And we just appreciate your support. And we are looking forward to connecting with you guys on episode 10. Take care. Hey guys, quick note. We have had a lot of people ask us why we are bi-weekly and that they would love to hear these episodes on a weekly basis. We are just not able to do that right now. It is just simply Lori and I, and we want to make sure we do this the right way. Um, However, we keep getting people asking if we can give them more information and more content. And the way that we can do that is by joining Patreon. So that is what we've done. If you guys want more content, stay tuned for details. We will hook you guys up on how to connect with us on that. And we look forward to bringing you content that was just too long for here or, you know, go in more depth on details. We also really look forward to one thing that a lot of people ask us about is doing a true crime podcast. We have had a lot of experience in TV development. We brought that to podcasting and we will also be happy to share any information on developing your own podcast um, on the Patreon site as well. So we're super excited to have another way to connect with you guys. Like us on Facebook at Cold Case Playing Cards for all the latest information on this case and other cards we'll be featuring on future episodes. Healing Justice is written, produced, and hosted by Jennifer Dubasak and myself, Lori Jennings. Our sound design is by John Schaub. Our executive consultant is the Cold Case Playing Cards creator, retired FDLE special agent Tommy Ray. If you want to help us spread the word about these victim stories, please subscribe and leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast app and tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you for listening and join us next time on Dealing Justice. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.